0: reading of God's word, I will say, this is the word of the Lord. And together, we in grateful spirit will say, thanks be to God. I'll read the entirety of Psalm 27. Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. The war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked from the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will, hi- for he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble, He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. Now my head shall be lifted up above all my enemies around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, Seek my face. My heart says to you, Your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, let your heart take courage, wait for the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Our Father, indeed we are thankful for a lamp and a light. We, your people, to possess your holy word, in written form, that we receive both the Old and the New Testaments, this entire canon of Holy Scripture, inspired by the Holy Spirit, without error and without fault. We give you great thanksgiving. We are thankful to possess it. It is the means whereby we are nourished. We are are given proper uh, eyes to see, ears to hear. Faith is, by this very word, birthed in the heart by the working of the Holy Spirit, through the hearing of the word faith is given. Thanks be to God that we have your holy word. We gather on your day that you have set one in seven aside for your people to gather in your name and to hear from your word. We're thankful for that. We look again all across our lives and we're thankful that we have been in this place over the course of a year. We have been fed, we have been corrected. Our faith has been nourished and strengthened to see what it had not seen before, to mature and to sanctify us, to put old habits to death, and to cultivate new ones that give life. Lord, the work is not done, and we readily admit this. It will not be done until we are with you at last, where sin is finally the final enemy and death is finally destroyed. As your people pilgrims on the way to that heavenly home, we are nourished each and every day by the word of the Lord. So we thank you that we have opportunity to come now, as your people on your day, to hear what you have to say to us. So, Lord, give us a firm word, one that is clear, that we can receive well, that we hear and we, we we sense some change or some understanding or some correction. We commit all of this to you. We thank you for the preparatory work this week of Pastor Dan. Pray that you'll bless him as he has himself looked at your word. And then to explicate and to teach and instruct us in that word through the mode of preaching. That we receive it and so be nourished and changed. Again, praise be to God. In your holy name we pray. Amen.
1: Psalm 27 is a text that's often used in churches as you come to Christmas season, moving beyond Christmas into what some call epiphany, which is simply the idea of the appearing or the manifestation or at least the perception of Christ. And So we think of Jesus Christ appearing, that he came to earth, he was in the manger, and now his work, the beginning of that work, kingdom ministry on this earth and it becomes apparent to us you go to psalm 72 is probably the most well-known as you think there of the works of jesus christ and you have god saying to the king i give the king justice i give him grace i give him glory god speaking to his exalted son And then from the throne flows mercy and flows justice and flows peace. All of this kingdom ministry is starting to appear and the church hears that, the Christian hears that and thinks we need to engage in those works of mercy and justice and peace. Psalm 101 is another interesting one. We'll actually close our service today singing Psalm 101. Part of the the appearing of Christ is indeed that he would destroy the works of Satan, overcome darkness. Psalm 101 speaks specifically to that. Psalm 27 draws on the, the Christmas story primarily as it begins there in verse 1, The Lord is my light that theme of light comes. And so it's appropriate for us here in this text. I think it's a good psalm too, a good text for us as we begin a new year. As we start 2023, you really see David here almost make a, a, a resolution. I don't know if you like resolutions or not. I kind of do. I, I, at least I like the providence of kind of Reevaluating and, and setting some new goals and getting a fresh start on things. But you see, David here, as he narrows it down to what really will be the heart of this text the one thing that he wants, the one thing that he desires, the one thing that he seeks is to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. And it narrows it down from all of maybe these goals and, and things in his heart and the desires of his life into this one thing that I might gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. I think for us, providentially, as alongside Esther now, we've walked through the letters to the seven churches and then seven weeks on the attributes of God. And hopefully in that, there's been a picture of God that has been painted, a description of God, both through the narrative of of Exodus 3 and the appearance in the burning bush and Revelation and the vision that John has of the Lord, and then systematically tracing the attributes, the essence, the character of our God that it's, it's caused our hearts and our minds to grow a little bit in the appreciation for the beauty of our Lord. So when you come to this psalm, really, the, there's two parallel statements that are the heart of this psalm. Verse 4 and verse 8. We'll see how those are parallel, but it's this. Verse 4, one thing I have asked of the Lord, and that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Parallel statement, verse 8, you have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. One thing I've asked, one thing I need, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. David, a life full of trouble, a life full of enemies, a life... Of, of great responsibility, and leadership, all that he has. And you think, man, what are the things he could ask for? Vindication, victory, safety, success. But what is the one thing he knows he needs to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord? I think it's appropriate for us as we start to look at this text. That, you know, we do ask ourselves, what would be the one thing... <laughs> 2023, what's the one thing you really want, that you really need? Is it safety? Is it security? Is it some sort of notoriety? Is it, what is it that in our heart this is what I really need? And he tells us here what his one thing is to behold the beauty of the Lord. We're going to look at hopefully answer three questions and just contemplate, think through this text together. Why is it important? What exactly is meant by beauty of the Lord? And then let's make it practical. Thirdly, how do we gaze upon the beauty of the Lord? But David, before he really gets into it, he sets for us The the stage. This is really a psalm of trouble, a time when he is in hardship and turmoil. But the stage that he sets for us, we see it in verse 1. He says three things. First, the Lord is my light. The Lord is my light. He, He is my direction, He is my source of light. He stands for what is pure, what is good, what is right. We see in the Christmas story, only that light is a, a theme that keeps coming up and up again. Whether it's in the narrative sections of Jesus' birth, you see the star shining brightly, leading the people to the manger. You see the angels appear in glorious light. Or you go to John 1 and the more theological look at the birth of Christ, and it's the light has come. The darkness doesn't like it, but the darkness can't stop it. The light will overcome the darkness. You have this theme of light, of of truth, of guidance, of hope. And so David says here at the beginning of the psalm, the Lord is my light. He is that for me. Secondly, he is my salvation. Salvation in its, I guess, biggest scope as you think about it is deliverance. It's, It's deliverance from sin, deliverance from evil, the evil one, deliverance from the curse. He says, the Lord is my salvation. He will be my deliverance. He spoke for a moment with Psalm 101. There is a, the theme of salvation, that he has come to save his people. He has come to save sinners, to set them free. And part of that salvation is overcoming evil. 1 John 3, 8, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. The first announcement of Jesus Christ, first announcement of Christmas, you could even say, given back there in Genesis 3, is that Jesus Christ will come and he will crush the head of the serpent. It's really a, a declaration of war, that light is invading darkness. He's coming into enemy territory. He is coming to set his people free. Salvation is coming. And so he says, the Lord is my light, the Lord is my salvation, whom then shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. He is the place I run to again and again. He is my place of protection, my place of safety, the place of my security, not just distant off in the future, but he's the stronghold of my life now. and for david he he grounds everything that's going to take place here in reality so he doesn't say there's nothing you know it's not that things in life aren't actually hard or sometimes there are things that are a little bit scary yes he will acknowledge all of that all of that is real The point of having confidence and having hope isn't to just pretend like bad things aren't around us, but it's to ground all of these circumstances in a a firmer, more lasting reality. And that is that the Son has come, God is my light, He is my salvation, He is my stronghold. He is these things for us, and it is grounded in that truth of God. So then from there, Why is it important? Why is this important? Back to verses 4 and 8. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Verse 8. To seek the face of the Lord. It's important because of the reality of how difficult life can be. David sets for us two contexts two sort of dramatic life events that sets for us the reality of living life in an age that is passing away. The first we see in verses 2 and 3, when evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, though an army encamp against me, though war rise up against me. David actually experienced these things. The most the difficult external pressures that you can face And I think as we contemplate the psalm, we can think of it in that context of external pressures that rise up against us, that gazing upon the beauty of the Lord happens in the midst of these external pressures. That's why it's important for David to be able to ground his faith in these realities. So the external pressures. Later you see some of those internal or relational pressures. He says in verse 10, For my father and my mother have forsaken me, You know, in reality, the hardest things in our life, typically, we're not going to face an army rising up against us. Perhaps you will face real uh, opposition and, and difficulty in that way. But it's going to be those relationships that really devastate your heart and your life. Whether it's father, mother, spouse, friend, child, whatever it is. It's those relationships that kind of serve as guideposts for our life. Help us make sense of things. It's where we find a lot of meaning and purpose and foundation. And when those are turned upside down or those are taken away or something devastating happens in the midst of those relationships what is it that david needs in that moment most of all is it make all my relationships better it's no i need to gaze upon the beauty of the lord the psalms are so important for us in this reason really all of scripture in that it's <clears throat> it's true to life that if you're going something if you're going through something really difficult the psalms don't just approach you and be like you know, it's not that big of a deal. God's good. Don't worry about it. It doesn't sort of minimize your sorrow and your trouble and the hardships of life. There is disillusionment. There is confusion. There There is disappointment. There are hard things in life. And the Psalms don't tell you to live your life by minimizing them. Or as I think preachers we can maybe tend to do is to like almost sentimentalize them as if somehow it's like a beautiful thing that you're struggling and you kind of make it just you don't allow for the actual hurt and ugliness of things of life sometimes and so David is giving the reality when external things arise against us when these internal pressures arise when we're we're struggling with sin when we're we're struggling with relationships when these things happen That's when the one thing I need is to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. So it's important because of the context of life that we live in. What does it mean exactly to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord? Really to have a sustained vision or a sustained look at the beauty of the Lord. What do we mean by beauty? What's this category of beauty? I think this can be a difficult conversation sometimes because our world has such a distorted view of of beauty. It becomes beauty becomes very external and idealized and sexualized and a lot of, of things that just distort the idea of beauty. And so then even in Christian circles we can kind of like just not even have a category for what we mean by beauty because often it is, it is distorted and it becomes almost a form of obsession or oppression or you simply want to possess it or people become enslaved to this pursuit of beauty. And so we sometimes have, don't have a real good category for what we even mean by beauty. And yet when you look at the Psalms again and again, the category of beauty comes up specifically The beauty of the Lord I'm going to take us back to Immanuel Kant a German philosopher but what he says is practical so don't get lost in it he was a guy who was a central thinker during the enlightenment and he was tried to prove everything by reason and reason alone that's a general statement if you know philosophy you can correct me a little bit but that's generalized what he did And yet, in all of it, he speaks about beauty and the role that beauty can play. And he says this, we cannot find real meaning and make sense of higher things or the highest things without a category for beauty. He argues that the human capacity, the human hunger for beauty is is bottomless. You take any other hunger, you eventually get tired of food, you'll get tired of sex, you'll get tired of whatever it is that the categories he gives but with beauty we have sort of a, a bottomless need for it and it's beauty alone that can satisfy and he gives three reasons to kind of help us understand what we're saying here when we talk about the beauty of the Lord he says a, experience of beauty is transforming because it Creates community. And I would say that creates community by the experience of praise. That is, that you come together around things that are beautiful. And you adore them and you delight in them for being beautiful. That's what worship is. It creates community as we come together around what is most beautiful God. And together we praise and our soul is satisfied in it. And we want others to join in and delight and tell others and sing together about the beauty of the Lord. So beauty creates community as together we we are satisfied and exult in and delight in this beauty. He says also, beauty infuses hope through the conviction of meaning. The, all, all this is, is, it's kind of like an apologetic way of when you look at something that is truly beautiful, you don't step by and you're like, oh, that just randomly came to be. That has no purpose, no meaning. But when you say beauty, you intrinsically know <laughs> there's purpose behind that. There is meaning. It gives us a sense of hope. You can see it whether, you know, a beautiful piece of art or or music or even creation to set and to see that mountain with the lake in front of it, and it captivates your heart, captivates your senses, and immediately points to this isn't just random. There's something meaningful here. Thirdly, Kant says, beauty undermines selfishness or self-absorption. All right, so if this is the idea of beauty, how, if we want beauty without all this distortion, then where do we look? We look to the Lord. As that which is truly satisfying, is that which is is whole, is that which feeds the soul, which intrinsically gives us meaning and purpose and hope and unites communities in praise and adoration. Sinclair Ferguson in a devotional, I can't remember if it was a Christmas devotional or maybe table talk or something, he talks about the idea of the beauty of the Lord and he compares it to the way that we as humans understand Beauty. And Maybe you know this, but they talk about the key. Why, when someone looks at a face, is it beautiful or not? When you look at me, why are you struck with beauty? That's immediately what you think, right? When Adam's up here, you don't feel that way. Why is that? Like, what, what makes me beautiful and Adam not? Well, s- symmetry, they say. Like, if you were to take a picture and fold it in half, you look at one side and the other side, they should be pretty close Symmetrically, and that's kind of what catches the human eye and engages in beauty. That's why sometimes with glasses or sunglasses on, people look better because it adds to their symmetry. Although, to be honest, I have one ear that's higher than the other, so my sunglasses only sit crooked, and I have one fault that's my one lack of beauty. Um, but it's just it's symmetry, it's what we're drawn to. <clears throat> Ferguson in devotional is he takes, he goes, What is beautiful about God is that symmetry. That what you're hoping for is always what you see. That whatever angle you look at him from, it is perfect. That he always acts in perfect accord with who he is. That he is always in perfect symmetry with nature. Perfect symmetry with morality. Perfect symmetry with who he is. We talked about that with as we look at the attributes of God. That he is all of his attributes at all times. Filling all in all. And So unlike us who you look in the mirror. It's funny. The mirror really is... I read this in a book too somewhere, but the mirror is a liar, right? Because you look in it, I get dressed in the morning, and I move around until I find my thinnest spot. And it's like, okay, that's what I look like today. Or ladies, you have like the face, you know, the lips out. and (laughs) That you're like, like you're not walking around like that all day. So it's a, that's, when we look at God, It is always completely satisfying, exactly as it should be, in perfect symmetry with his word. His actions and his deeds are perfectly loving and just and holy and all of those things together at all times. And he's beautiful in his sovereignty. That is that beauty of the Lord that is satisfying. That feeds the soul, that in the midst of all the hardship and chaos, when David says, The one thing I have to have, the one thing I'm going after, is to gaze at the beauty of the Lord. It's not vindication, it's not safety, it's not victory, it's not notoriety. I need to see the beauty of the Lord. Because that's what creates community, that's what satisfies the soul, that's what gives you that anchor when the storms arise. Alright, so practically how do we do it then? Four things <clears throat> we can take from the psalm. First of all we do it deliberately. You gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, you seek His face, you do so deliberately. Again, verse 4 and verse 8 <clears throat> are parallel ideas here. The seeking after to dwell in the house of the Lord to gaze upon the Lord to inquire in the temple and then verse 8 to seek the face of the Lord your face Lord do I seek face of the Lord is really the idea of presence there isn't a Hebrew word for just the idea of presence so it's described typically as the face of the Lord So he's seeking the presence of the Lord. When we think of the temple, when we think of the house of the Lord, he's talking about the presence of the Lord, where God is. David's saying, okay, and he uses words like seek, ask, inquire. He is making the effort to go to where the presence of God is. I want to go to the temple. I'm going to seek after your face to inquire. That is, I'm going to give myself to finding your presence at the temple. And we know through the Old Testament, the temple, the tabernacle, that's the center of where God's presence was. We know God is everywhere. But redemptively with his people, it speaks of it in the temple. That's where God's access to God was, access to his forgiveness, where his heart was open to, to his people, was there in the temple. And David goes, I long to just be in your presence, and I'm going to seek it. I'm going to give myself to it, and I'm going to inquire after it day after day. You have said, Seek your face. Your face, Lord, will I seek. That's why it's so significant that when Jesus shows up in the incarnation that he tabernacles among us that he makes God known. His presence is with us. To seek the face of God in the person of Jesus Christ. He is deliberate in it. <clears throat> I know it's always the same application, but where do we seek? Where do we encounter? Where do we come to the face of God? In his word. He speaks to us. He has spoken to us in his word. It is living. It is active. He takes it and he gives us life. He breathes life into us. He gives us direction. It's a a sword that that cuts away at uh, at our sin, that comforts and builds us up. The Spirit uses it to speak to us. And we want to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, but often we ignore this. This is where we find it. We find it in prayer. He has given us access by His Spirit to come before the Father and to pray in the name of Jesus Christ who mediates for us. And in that prayer to gaze upon Him, in the gathering of His people where together we say true things about our God and adore Him, together in the gathering of His people where Christ walks in our midst, Come into his presence with thanksgiving and praise. So it needs to be done deliberately. We can all sit back thinking, 2023, I'd like to be closer to the Lord. (laughs) Well, there's real practical ways we do that that it can become the real source of beauty that it needs to be so that you're not anchored in the storm by a list of do's and don'ts or by just a few facts to know, but by being captured by the beauty of the Lord. So it needs to be done deliberately. Secondly, it needs to be done existentially. I just threw that in there to be clever. But... I know we get nervous whenever we think of start talking about experiences that we're seeking experiences but you understand here that to gaze upon the Lord is is engaging the senses it's not i simply want to know more things about god he wants to gaze upon his beauty to inquire to get to know him this happens through meditation and again not uh, weird seance meditation, but meditation, the idea of taking God's word and thinking about it and praying through it and allowing the truth of it to start to get a sense of that truth in your heart. And then taking that truth and living life, walking through every circumstance of life and, and filtering it through that truth to experience God's grace and to experience God's mercy, to experience boldness that God alone could give. For it to begin to capture your heart and your mind in that way. It often happens as you're forced outside your comfort zone a little bit. As you engage in a difficult situation, as you share the gospel, as you, you deal with hurting people, as you walk through suffering in your own life or, or you come alongside and are willing to walk with someone through their suffering, it's in those moments that the, the word, you begin to get a sense of it in your heart. And so you have to deliberately go after it, but it's also something that you get a sense of that, that is relational, that you experience, not simply just know that, that it does capture the heart, it warms the soul in that way. It would be, as the Psalms would say in third I think it's Psalm 34, that we would taste and see that the Lord is good. I can tell you honey is sweet, you can know that, but to taste of that honey, to experience that sweetness. That's what David is longing for, to inquire in the temple, to go to the house of God, to seek the face of God and to gaze upon his beauty. Third of my four points here is that it's a whole life project. It's a marathon, not a sprint. <clears throat> You'll have, by God's grace, I think most people at some point have little moments in their life where they're sort of overwhelmed with God's goodness and grace and he teaches them much about himself in a moment. <laughs> but that's not always and maybe, maybe never for you. It's more of just the plodding along of the Christian life, where typically you're not going to leave church every week, just blown away and weeping. And it's more just the plodding along, of the ordinary means of grace, and faithfully giving ourselves to the Word and learning about Him, and singing and, and praising and engaging in the community of faith. It's a whole life project. You even see it with with David here. It's it's going to have its ups and downs. Listen. Verse 11, to the end, teach me your ways, O Lord. Lead me on a level path. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries. Verse 13, I believe that I shall look on the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. It takes endurance. It takes patience. It's just that plodding along in the Christian life. And then finally, we view, we gaze upon the beauty of God in the person of Jesus Christ. It is through Jesus Christ. How can David, a sinner like all of us, say in verse seven, Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. It's pretty audacious to say to God, unless you have confidence in the person, in the work of Jesus Christ on your behalf. You have said, seek my face. Your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away. Cast me not off. Forsake me not. Again, we've made this point before, but Christ became sin for us. He became a curse for us. He experienced, in his humanity, he experienced the curse of the forsakenness of God in order that you will not have to. He doesn't just sweep your sin under the rug. He pays for it. So that you are a child and so that, yes, acknowledging your sin and confessing that sin, you can still come boldly before God and say, hear my prayer. Show me grace. Cast me not off. And he will answer you. You have the right to bring that before God because Jesus Christ's sacrifice is perfect on your behalf. We often end the service with the, the benediction the, from the Aaronic Blessing. Let your face shine upon me. That when you see the face of God, it's a smiling face that greets you. And that's true because Jesus Christ became a curse for us. He who knew no sin became sin for us. And so when we gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, we always do it in the person of Jesus Christ, boasting in the cross of Jesus Christ that makes it possible for us. It makes us children of God. <clears throat> one thing David needs, one thing we need, 2023, is to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. And in the end, you see, David, he's not free from trouble. He's not free from ups and downs. He's not free from temptation and sin in his life. But he is this. He's courageous. He's confident. He's full of hope. He's seeking the face of the Lord. He is patient. Gazing upon the beauty of God gives us what we need. And those courageous, confident, patient ways to continue after the Lord. I'm going to give you just a moment. If you would, bow your heads. You can think quietly, respond in your own hearts and minds. Invite Tim up and then we'll respond as we move to the table in just a moment. You can remain in your seats, but as we continue towards the table, would you join just one verse here of hallelujah, what a Savior.